Hello! Hey guys, it's Arden Cho. Hey, I'm Holland Roden. Hello, this is Ian Bowen. Hey you guys, this is Melissa Ponzio. Hi, I'm Lyndon Ashby. Hi, I'm Dylan Sperberry. This is Megan Tandy. This is Tyler Posey, and you are listening to Not Another. Not Another. Not Another. This is Not Another Team Wolf Podcast. Yes, it is! Oh! Woo! Hey, this is Jeff Davis. You're listening to Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast, my favorite podcast in the world. Can I say hell? You say yeah! Hell! Hell! Hi everyone, welcome to episode 122 of our Teen Wolf podcast, Not Another Teen Wolf podcast. So we're joining you this week to talk about this week's episode of Teen Wolf, which was season 5, episode 17, A Credible Threat. So in that episode, um, Lacrosse returned and Coach returned and... Brett returned, and it was all very uh, nice, I guess, or not nice, <laughs> or I don't know. What's a good descriptor for this episode? I mean, it depends on how you feel about lacrosse. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's true. Um, we are recording this podcast for the parent website of hyperball.com, so you can check that podcast out there. Um, and you can get in touch with us on our Twitter, which is NATW Podcast. Our email address, natwpodcast at gmail.com. Our Tumblr, which is not another teen wolf podcast.tumblr.com. Or you can join us on our Instagram, um, which is NATW Podcast as well. Uh, update on last week I still haven't got the ability to switch on Instagram. Apparently, they only rolled it out to certain accounts, and I don't have it yet, so I haven't posted any photos. But really? Yeah, uh, I'll have to check it again, but I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll attempt it. I'll attempt it once more. Um, anyway, we, we plan to, to try and post a few more of our older photos there, or just of our current photos. Karen could post some photos of her Funkos. They're nothing to do with Teen Wolf, but, you know, she could still do it if you want her to. <laughs> I mean, I totally will. Um, you know, people might be just interested in our fandom life. Who knows? Um, are there Buffy are Funkos? Are they? Really? Yes, there are. I can't wait to get some. Are there? I don't have any yet. Yeah, like, a lot, all of them. I need all of them. All of them, yes. Yeah. Um, okay, well, we'll see. If they can make Funkos for shows that have been cancelled, I don't understand why Teen Wolf doesn't have any Funkos, but we'll move on from that conversation quickly. Um, our favourite quotes this week, um, as I said, Coach returned, and I really enjoyed um, one of his lines. In fact, I really loved his whole first scene with Scott and Styles when, when they visit him in the rehab centre where he's apparently been for the last seven months because um, I just think that all three of those actors are really amazing, like, comedic actors, like, you know, um, and just all three of them were just, like, nailing it. Like, the vibe was so good. But I really enjoyed, um, you know, Coach kind of reveals he's been faking his need for rehab and, like, <laughs> that every time he is about to get discharged, he kind of quote-unquote relapses. But the real reason is because he doesn't want to go back into the real world. Because um, he, as he tells the boys, he's like, I have a debilitating disease. It's called, I'm not going to take an, another arrow in my stomach phobia. Look it up. And I was like, nice throwback to the thing that probably did actually, like, have him need to leave 
school, basically, because we haven't had him in quite a long time. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. It's because he got shot and he was real mad about it, and as you would be. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like he's kind of the only one that's really made a huge deal of the fact that, like, he got injured. Like, a lot of our heroes got have gotten injured pretty badly. Even Lydia, who's, you know, very much human and has human healing powers, she doesn't necessarily complain about it, but Coach would, and he has, at length. <laughs> I mean, I would, too. To yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good times. How about you? What was your favorite quote this week? Mine's a bit of an exchange between Sheriff Stolinski and Styles, and it's when they're in the sheriff's station and Stolinski goes, I'd have to go to the school with evidence of a credible threat. And Styles replies, a giant werewolf might rampage across the field killing people. That's an incredible threat. <laughs> I don't know why. I just totally lost it at that point. But I really liked the follow up too where (laughs) Stalinsky says, look, we're going to have a presence at the game already. I'll double it. I'll triple it. And then Styles like bounces a little bit and it was so cute and funny. And then he goes, dad, quadruple it, octuple it. (laughs) Yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed them a lot as well. Do you want to roll into the recap then? Yeah. So the episode starts off with Parrish who, knows that he goes out at night and does some hellhoundish things because he comes back covered in soot and his clothes are all burned up and there's blood and stuff, which is always promising. And he wants the group to follow him to figure out what he does at night. And so Chris is sitting there in his apartment and he follows him directly after. And Scott, Styles, and Liam are in the Jeep meeting up with them. They meet up at the school. And the first thing is just Styles being so done with Liam. Like, always. Mm. He just... I don't think he hates him or anything, but it's just that little brother syndrome where he just... He has to just be annoyed with him on principle. And to be fair, like, Liam shuts the door really loudly. And it's... He asks silly questions. And it's just... Their dynamic is really great, though. Yeah. He had something... Liam had something really funny in this episode that I now can't quite remember. But it was something about the... Oh, it was when, you know, they saw the beast and they were like, I had no idea it was that big. Um, no, like nobody said it was that big, and Liam was like, "I did," <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I loved that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's really. I mean, I think Styles is just like, "Keep up, Liam. Come on, just don't, don't, don't waste my time with your questions." Um, even though you know, I'm sure they're questions that Styles is probably also asking. He's just not patient. Uh, you know, with, with people outside of his own head, really. Yeah, but speaking of the beast they do find a whole pile of bodies and realize that the beast is getting smarter. He's setting a trap. And first of all, that half a body flopping down on the pavement was really disgusting. But that whole pile just reminded me of the mosaic, the the fresco quite a bit. So it's really just killing en masse. Like, where is it going to get all of these people to kill? Like, they weren't, you know, it's just like piled up a bus full of like, dead kids, and, um, you know, and I guess the Beast left that kid alive, so, you know, that mm-hmm. that's the trap, if you know what I mean. But, 
Yeah, poor poor kid. Calling for help. Getting squashed. Getting slashed. Getting cut in half. Yeah, pretty much. But the Hellhound speaks for the first time. And it warns Scott to stay back. And it says that it's a trap. And this was kind of disconcerting at first. I was like, whoa, not expecting it. And it's voices that kind of like... It's got, like, that double sound to it, and it kind of vibrates a little bit, and it's mm-hmm. like, you know, the supernatural voice that most shows tend to go with for these sort of things. And it was just interesting to me that, one, the hellhound was aware enough to be able to communicate, but also that it wanted Scott and the others to stay back. Yeah, like, it clearly knows it's on the side of good, or it clearly knows that it's, like, you know that it has some sort of purpose for good or that he, that, that Scott and it's, it's not like an indiscriminate killer or, or without any kind of perspective on what's going on. It's kind of like, I'm here to protect people. I'm protecting you. I don't know. I never kind of expected him to speak like that. Like, you know, I, I, I was pretty surprised that like the hellhound, Everything about what we've discovered about the Hellhound in this episode later on really surprised me, honestly. I was quite surprised mm-hmm. um, about all of that, um, you know, starting with the fact that it has a conscious personality as opposed to just uh, an animalistic one. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and during this same night, I assume... Uh, Malia and Brayden staying at the uh, staying at the McCall's. Um, Melissa locks them in with Mountain Ash, basically. And I didn't quite, you know, understand what she was sort of protecting them from. Was it just from the, the Desert Wolf coming after Malia, or was it from the Beast, or why why were they actually st- stuck in there? The Desert Wolf. Um, yeah. I mean, they say like she's not going to attack before the full moon because the full moon is the only way that she can get that transference oh, yeah. of power. Like, yeah, but she might not play by the rules. Yeah, yeah, and then Melissa's like, never be too careful. And I thought that was like, I don't know, it was such a simple line and obviously Melissa didn't have a huge role this episode, but I felt so bad for her. Like, not that any of them asked for this, but you know, she's kind of watching this from the outside. She has no supernatural powers. Her son is a true alpha. He has a pack. He has all of this to worry about on top of how difficult high school itself can be. And she's kind of powerless. I don't want to say she's powerless to do anything because she's helped them multiple occasions and she's definitely an asset to the team. But when it comes to going toe to toe with a beast, like she can't do anything and I just felt really bad for her because she's sitting there pouring out ash across, you know, her doorway. And it felt so normal that it was just I'm sad that it got to that point, I guess, if that makes any sense, that she's so comfortable with having to do something like that. Yeah, I still think she might be the beast, even though I doubt she's a size 10 shoe. <laughs> Sorry. Just the way later on when they talked to her and they were like, hang on, you know, does it have to be one of these? I feel like she knows something about who the beast is that she's not saying. That she's, I don't know, I'm, I'm weirdly hung up on it, but never mind. Okay. In the next scene, we see Scott and Kira making out. And um, we're reminded that lacrosse is totally a thing. And, I mean... 
I'm definitely pro lacrosse. I think it's not a sport that's seen on television a whole lot, so it's interesting to get something different at least. You know, it's not basketball or football or something like that. Um, so I was, you know, fine, but I thought it was funny that they were like, oh, yeah, we forgot too. Um, but the thing that really bugged me about this scene, and the only reason why I'm bringing this up is you'll see in a second, but Kira's bra did not fit her, like, at all. And it was really bugging me the whole time. And I was like, all right, I'm just a weirdo. Like, I don't know why I noticed that. And it's not a big deal. But then I told Kristen, my roommate, and she was like, that was really bugging me, too. So clearly it's not just me. But <laughs> Kira needs to, I don't know, ask Lydia for help. I'm sure all of Lydia's bras fit perfectly. But she needs one that fits because it was gapping during the makeout <laughs> scene. I'm sorry that you had to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she's so pretty, and it was so distracting, and I was just, I don't know why I care, but I do. Um, But the important part here is that she wakes up the next morning um, after makeout slash possibly more, and she practices with her sword. And I think Scott's... It, I actually think it was like an ornamental sword. It wasn't even her sword. It was Because they took her sword off her and they broke it. Yeah, it wasn't that sword, I but like I it think was it just was... just a sword. Like an, it was in one of those ornamental kind of displays. And yeah. yeah. I mean, it still could have been real, but yeah, yeah. Um, definitely maybe just set there for display and yeah. not necessarily use like all the time unless necessary. But she was you know, playing around with it and stuff. And Scott's face was like super worried. And then we go back to her and see her eyes flash. Mm. And so it's clear that, you know, this is sort of just setting up issues that we're going to get to later on. But I think it's interesting that it's now beginning to take over her more and more often, especially when the idea of, you know, like lacrosse, battle if you could call it that um and adrenaline come up yeah um it was very you know she's obviously been warned off doing this kind of thing because it will re um uh re reawaken like her troublesome fox and stuff like that um so why was she even trying it why does she want to play lacrosse? Not lacrosse, but with the sorry, with the sword and everything. Oh, I don't think that was her at all. I totally think that was the Kitsune taking over her. Okay, well, it was just it just got strong enough to take over without her particularly feeding into it because of the uh, adrenaline of the lacrosse. Yeah, well, I mean, she just woke up from a sleep. I think this just goes to show you that like it's getting stronger, basically. Hmm, okay. Fun. Fun times. Um, yeah, so that happened, and her bra didn't fit. Sorry about that. (laughs) Um, Corey has decided he wants to get the hell out of Dodge. Like, he doesn't really want to hang out with Theo. He's determined that his parents don't care about him, that they barely noticed when he died the first time. I feel like, you know, this is an unrealistic thing for a child to say. Like, how bad can his parents possibly be? Like, we have no real evidence of this, but whatever you say, Corey. 
Uh, and he just wants to leave. He wants to get away from this entire situation, which is fair enough, though I have no idea where a 16-year-old would go. Uh, I'm sure many of there are many 16-year-old kids out there on the run, but I can't really imagine it. And Mason is not into this plan. He says that, you know, he wants Corey to stay, both for his personal use and uh, because people like Corey... <laughs> need to stay and save people like him, like people with powers. Um, and, yeah, Corey's not too convinced of this, and he's still healing from his burns um, from Eichenhouse um, very, very slowly. And in the conversation uh, that they're having, um, you know, when Mason's kind of trying to sell him on the idea of, like, oh, Scott's so brilliant, he helps us all, and, you know, you, you could be like Scott, and, you know, he did this thing... Um, and he kind of remembers the, the radio jammer, the cell phone jammer situation, and then gets a bit of a brainwave about the beast being attracted to a certain frequency, or like, or a tr- or when transmissions happen, the Dread Doctors are able to pipe out the frequency that triggers the beast, basically. So how did yes. that make you feel, that Mason's kind of figuring out the undoing of the beast or figuring out how to find it? Ironic if he ends up being the beast. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but actually really glad that it wasn't Lydia. I feel like Lydia gets a lot of these, I call them like epiphany moments where they have their epiphany face, and sometimes the epiphany faces are not so great. Um, but Mason had a good epiphany face, and it was very, like, a natural realization, I think, because sometimes it just feels awkward to me. But this was a good one, and I'm just glad that it was him, because he is really smart, and he's been reading up on a lot of the stuff, and he's kind of entrenching himself in everything that's going on with the pack and in Beacon Hills, and... Because of Lydia's intelligence, she tends to make those connections more than other characters, but Mason got it in this scene, and actually Scott put two and two together really well in a later scene that we'll talk about, and I was just glad that like the love was spread around a little bit. Yeah, I really appreciate it when yeah, when like when Scott has a good idea or when someone else has a good idea. I feel like that we're seeing a little bit of that on Buffy with rewatchable as well, like that in our rewatch I, you know, you kind of think about Buffy and you think about, you know, Willow and Giles being like the plan people or the research people, but sometimes like Buffy or Angel or even Xander like will have these ideas, especially Buffy. I feel like I feel like my memory has played down like how capable and knowledgeable and like logical Buffy is about mm-hmm. her job and and it's a lot and Scott has got that quality as well, I think. Yeah, and that actually transitions perfectly into the next point in that they're in the library and they're sort of conferring and they figure out well, Scott figures out that like the process. He says that the dread doctors are forcing the beast to shift in order to speed up its growth. And Lydia does chime in like Peter. And, you know, Scott kind of explains it, that the more that they can get the beast to shift, just like the more Peter shifted into his alpha werewolf status, like he healed faster from those burns, the beast will grow faster. And I just really loved that they gave this to Scott because it's quite a complicated idea. And yes, they've kind of seen it a little bit before, but it's in a completely different context. 
And I just thought that it was nice that he's really being the leader of this pack and he's really kind of taking charge and not just sitting back and letting, you know, the so-called smart people put these clues together. They all came together as a team in this moment and they all had a little bit to add to it. Yeah, I, I appreciate, appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, so Styles reveals that they found a size 10 partial footprint, which honestly, like, for me, this doesn't really, like, narrow it down a whole lot because they don't know anything about it other than possibly it could still have blood on it, maybe if they didn't change their shoes or something like that. Yeah. Or wash their shoes or whatever. I get that. I really get that they can't do too much with this. Like, but they're searching the shoes is kind of making the assumption that everyone in Beacon Hill certainly has one pair of shoes. I mean, I think you kind of have to take some liberties. Like, <laughs> I know. I you know. can only be so realistic. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But it's really. I don't know, like, I found that a bit, a bit, I don't know, I just found that a bit, a, a bit hilarious, basically, where they, when they were kind of making the assumption that it was ruling everyone out, like, just because, I don't know, maybe everyone in Beacon Hills does only have one pair of shoes, but I have at least, I'd say, like, at least 50. So. Oh my god. Is that a lot? That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, don't go by me. I literally own one pair of sneakers, a couple of pairs of boots, some flip-flops, and some rain boots, and that's about it. So, like, I'll count my shoes. And I, six. <laughs> um, but what really made me laugh in this scene, too, was they were like, this can, like, it's totally possible that this will just be a regular lacrosse game and nothing terrible will happen, right? And they all kind of looked at each other and was like, yeah, that's totally possible. And it was a little bit of that, like, fourth wall breaking, kind of poking fun at yourself thing that I was like, you know, a lot of terrible things really do happen during the lacrosse games. Yeah, yeah. Um... I like when they're all like, yeah, no, we're just going to play and hope that no one gets hurt, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're definitely getting it cancelled. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and then Lydia um, kind of feels a disturbance in the force. I don't really know how else to explain it because she kind of stops all of a sudden, tilts her head and looks over, and you can tell she kind of knows what she's going to find. But um Lydia sees an open book on the ground mm. and in it I believe I looked at it pretty closely I think it's the maid of Javadon um with the spear against the the beast but it was funny because it was what looked like a woman with a spear and then there were there was like a larger dog or wolf and then a couple of smaller dogs and somebody hiding in the bushes <laughs> Who's hiding in the bushes? I don't Probably one of the guys. Hmm. Fair enough. But, and then she finds Parrish, all torn up from his battle against the beast. Um, yeah, I don't know why he's hanging out in the school library, so... Probably uh, trying to find Lydia. Oh, Parrish... We went through this with Derek. You can't just show up half naked at high schools <laughs> when you're a 20-something-year-old man. Like, you really shouldn't do that. 
Have you learned nothing from the hills? Oh, I don't know. Anyway, this feels inappropriate that he shows up naked at the high school. Like, <laughs> he's got shorts on. He did not. He did too. Did he? Yeah. No, I couldn't see them. <laughs> they were shorty shorts. They were like burnt off, but they were shorts. All right. Fair enough. I'll believe you. Yeah. Look, he's there. It's again. It's it's inappropriate. Um, we then go on to what we talked, sp- spoke about with, um, Sheriff Stalinsky, uh, not being able to get the game cancelled, that, you know, it's a, raises tens of thousands of dollars for charity, that he'd have to go to the school board with a reason, um, you know, and, and Styles is just like, come on, come on, um, and then they think about who else could get the game cancelled, um, and one of the ways could be if the coach forfeited the game, and apparently they have a substitute coach who... Um, is very by the book and would not fall for any of their antics. So Scott and Styles decide to go get their old coach back, uh, Finstock, where he was in rehab, and he's loving life there. Basically, he's in rehab. He doesn't want to re. He doesn't want to leave. He has apparently an amazing healthcare plan, which is just letting him stay there and just hang out, pretend to be catatonic, and have games of checkers with the nurse. So. Oh, my God. I love it when they're like, coach, you're in rehab. You didn't have a lobotomy. Yeah, because <laughs> he's just lying there being like, uh, and clearly this is like, <laughs> he, he's just like loving life. And, yeah, allegedly he, um, I don't know if he's, I don't know the circumstance. I don't know if he really went there because he needed it or if he went there so he could, like, get out of, like, basically escape the rest of his life, if you know what I mean, because he didn't want to have another arrow in his stomach phobia. And so, yeah, every time he's about to get um, discharged from uh, rehab every month, he he fakes a relapse or he has a real relapse or whatever. He just goes on a bender and he gets, you know, gets to stay another month and apparently they haven't noticed this pattern yet. And he's quite happy doing this and just living off off that. And, you know, his health care is paying for it and he's having a great time. And that he never wants to go back to Beacon Hills. He never wants to go back to that school or deal with those people ever again. So they do manage to make him, though. Um, I loved this scene. Like, just not only... I like, I like Coach. I think he's funny. I think he's had some really good... Um, moments of being like a good adult to the kids and I think he's had some really good moments like just between him and um you know and other adults and then I think he's had some outright hilarious moments I think you know again he's another character that could have had a bigger role should they have chosen to have had him you know had a bigger role um but he he doesn't currently uh but I really enjoyed this I as I said at the beginning I think Orny Adams um Dylan O'Brien and Tyler Posey are all very, very talented at comedy, and I feel like that scene just landed so well. It just, I feel like the people watching in the studio, like crew and stuff, like for filming that day, must have just had such a good time because they felt so good together. Like it just vibed so well to me. Yeah, and it was just, uh, it was so nice to have Orny Adams back. I. I mean, I loved Coach from the beginning, and when he left, it was sad, but it didn't necessarily change anything for me. You know, it's not like when Allison left, and that left, like, this huge gaping hole, but he coming back, and him just being so brilliant, and that very specific kind of angry comedy that he has, 
that he's so good at just reminded me why I loved him to begin with. And it was really, really nice seeing him again. And I don't know if, given that he didn't forfeit the game, this means we'll be seeing him more often in the next couple episodes and maybe in season six. But it's very nice to have him back. How did they get him out of there when he was like, no, I'm never doing it again? Um, what? How did they manage to convince him? I think I must have tuned out. It was, I mean, it was kind of confusing because he was like, no, I'll never do this again. And, and I don't care about any of this, but they were like, well, we just need somebody to cancel the game. So maybe he just wanted to see people sad that the game was forfeited or something because he is that kind of person. But I think it was just maybe a power trip for him is, is essentially how I took it. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, and I guess he's he's out there. I mean, I want to know how they got him back on the board. Like, how how like did they have to run that past the school? Like, how how did they just reinstate him? Basically, <laughs> I don't. I do not know. But let's be real. Beacon Hills doesn't <laughs> exactly have high standards. So yeah, that's true. It is what it is. I guess. All right, the next scene, um, we get the super soldier chamber of death from Captain America, the first Avenger, so that was nice. It was so gross, and yeah, there's so much about that that was horrific. I was just like, ooh, putting a person in a big robot box, I'm really not into it. Um, (laughs) You know, not nice, no thank you. Yeah. Um, But I'm glad I wasn't the only one that made the connection to... Captain America. I saw a couple other people on Twitter doing it too because it was just like, well, this looks not good at all. And Parrish already kind of looks like a super soldier, so what's it going to do? Hmm. Um, It turns out that it drops your core temperature so that you can access the supernatural part of your brain, which I think is a really cool concept that they've explored before. Is this like the with ice the ice bath baths, but didn't yeah. I think so. The thing is, like, they kind of had to die in order to do that. It was a sacrifice. But I also think it opened up a part of their mind that allowed other things to enter, like the Nagitsune for styles. And they never actually put that into those specific words for the ice bath scenes, but here they did, and clearly it's like the same concept. So I thought it was really awesome that they re- revisited it and sort of like didn't necessarily put a name to it, but kind of explained the thought behind it. And it's not really something I've ever heard before that like it allows you to hover between. At least that's how I interpreted it, like hover between and be able to access that supernatural part that might just be out of reach. Yeah, that's possible, yes. Yeah, I mean, what ended up coming out of it was pretty shocking. They say that Parrish needs to evolve to fight the beast, but we never really get an answer as to how he's necessarily going to do that. But they did say, like... If Parrish and the Hellhound can kind of cohabitate instead of one taking over the other, it'll allow them to beat the beast, which is an interesting concept. But I wonder if that means like Parrish is going to change physically somehow. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're not going into what ends up happening yet, but that's really 
like again oh I don't know how to describe this again oh I do it's like with a it's with a Buffy spoiler but that's fine um (laughs) an angel spoiler actually but um (laughs) but yeah no it's certainly like we've talked before about the you know uh, how much control like conscious control parish has over being the hellhound and i guess it sort of is tied to that like um in you know being able to channel that and and control it and what we end up learning is totally not anything that i expected so yeah and the last thing that we remember the last thing that we learn in this scene too is that if the beast remembers the man that he was, so the French serial killer, mm. he will replace the teenager within and be fully realized. So he will come back to life. Mentally and or just like, will it be the body, like a man, you know, a 500-year-old man body. or the body of him as well, like in his in someone's brain or like them themselves mm. will just pop into being? That's a good question. I assumed that it was it'd like be like you know in say the beast is Mason, it would be like Mason's body but that guy's brain. I assumed they meant it would be that guy's body and brain, but that's a really good idea that maybe it would actually be just his mind being realized within but they said something about like replacing the teenager or something like like the teenager would just be gone. So that felt a bit more physical to me than just like a mental thing. Hmm. Yeah. But then again, even Parrish is like, how is that even possible? And then nobody answers him and he's like, forget I asked. And I don't know if this was a, you know, we kind of don't have an explanation for this right now or if it's. I don't know if it's one of those things we're supposed to just kind of gloss over because honestly that that is supposed to happen in supernatural shows like you're not going to know the science and the exact mechanics behind everything that happens all the time. It's supernatural. It's supposed to be paranormal, abnormal. So I kind of don't mind that we're not getting the exact reason, but because you brought that up, I will be interested to know, like, what they actually meant by that. Hmm. Yeah. No, I don't know. I think it would be creepier if it was, like, you know, that guy's brain permanently taking over, like, the body, like, of the host body of, like, Mason or mm-hmm. whoever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So... They're all back at the game, and apparently Scott is all healed um, because, you know, they're like, you know, oh, we can't even do this. Like, Scott's not even, like, healed. And Kira, because she's seen him naked, is like, actually, yes, he is. And Scott's <laughs> like, yeah, I am, and pulls up his shirt. And apparently the pack all coming back together and being a pack gave Scott the strength he needed to heal. So I don't know if that's a thing, apparently. I would have bet money that somebody from the pack would have, like, made fun of Kira, like, giving her crap for that, but, like, nobody did. And I don't know if I was glad or disappointed. So I was like, oh, Kira. (laughs) Yeah. It's, yeah, but that happened, so that's nice. Um, And then apparently Brett is on their side as well, despite the fact that they're playing in the lacrosse game against each other. He's still, like, an ally of their pack, and he apparently knows the whole story uh, because his sister, who's also a werewolf, and she's been in the show before, vaguely um has is checking out the shoes of people in the bleachers while 
they are, you know, while the guys are playing the game. Um, and so those those guys are, are an interesting sort of set of allies in a different pack, which is um, is fun. And they're helping out. The, um, his sister has a relatively large role towards the end of the episode, which I quite enjoyed. Um, and then Hayden is there in the bleachers, hanging out as well, watching the game, supporting Liam, not really helping the pack, because I suppose at this point she hasn't declared her allegiance with them, but she's there with Liam. Yeah, and maybe this was just me, but she looked so much like Allison in this scene, to the point where my heart actually skipped a beat, because, like, I thought it was Allison for a second, because there's a scene in season one where Allison has, like, her long curly hair and she's wearing, like, a jean jacket kind of outfit. And Lydia is sitting next to her like the other girl was sitting next to her. And it just gave me season one flashbacks. And I don't know if it was supposed to be a parallel, like, you know, the two girls watching the game kind of thing. But it just reminded me so much of Allison. And if it was on purpose because... They're trying to constantly remind us of Allison, then I would like to personally punch somebody in the face because it's not very nice. Wow. Um, and of course they're playing because Coach refused to forfeit, apparently. He you know, um they they you know, they tell the the guy they tell him originally, you don't even have to do anything, all you have to do is forfeit the game for us. And I guess he pretended to agree to that, and then when he got there he was like, I have never forfeited a game and I never will and he makes them play. <laughs> so how did you like that? Oh, it was so coach. Yeah. <sighs> is that a good thing or a bad thing? It is a good thing for coach, <laughs> a bad thing for everybody else, and he kind of for coach. Fun. <laughs> yeah, until the beast rips him apart, because you never know. Mm. I don't think coach is going to die. Meanwhile, um, Lydia starts talking to the hellhound in the scary chamber of death, and he says that his name is not Jordan Parrish. He's called many names, including Cerberus, Garmer, and Black Shuck. Mm-hmm. And I looked all of these up, and of course I know Cerberus. Because... you've heard of at least one of them before. Yeah, and which is Greek. Um, the Hound of Hades has three heads. It keeps the dead in the underworld. Mm-hmm. And then Garmer is Norse. It's a dog associated with Helen Ragnarok, and it's kind of bloodstained, and it guards Hell's Gates. And then Black Shock, which actually I'd never heard of really? Garmer either. I, but... I had you heard of Black Shock? No. Oh, uh-uh. I, I am very familiar with Black Shock. I, I would... Imagine you would be yeah. given having lived in England and oh, everything. I mean, that's. I don't think that's why. Um, that's that's serious. That's that's the grim. Well, yeah, I was reading it yeah, and I was like, the grim this is based on um, right. And Leo actually could tell you could do a whole podcast about Black Shuck. Uh, but <laughs> just so you know. Well, but yeah, yeah that's the original it's... legend of the Grimm in Harry Potter, and um, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's it was a real ghost, uh, you know, a ghost story, a ghost dog that is seen on moors and the coast, and it's, again, yeah. it's a moment of death. I was going to ask too because it is, you know, yeah, it's a dog. It roams the coast, but from the really like literally thirty seconds of reading, it didn't 
necessarily jump out that it was like the other two per se because those ones are very specifically like it guards hell's gates and it has to do with like the dead and obviously yeah if it is an omen of death then it is kind of related but this one to me felt more different than the other stuff that that's necessarily important this is a really trivial point to his speech, but I thought yeah. it was interesting nonetheless. Um, it is meant to be um, an omen of death, or to some people, like it has been recorded as an omen of death. And it's not just the coastline, it's stuff like graveyards, crossroads, like forests, stuff like that. Yeah, it's kind of, again, can be like massive or, you know, just normal, but yeah, certain areas do say, you know, certain legends do say that it is actually, um, you know, an omen of death or, um, you know, again, like, if, if compare it to the Grimm in Harry Potter that, you know, some people think it's ridiculous, like that it's nothing or that it's not real and some people think that it's real and it's an omen of death and some people think that it's, like, harmless. So, yeah. I just like, too, that it was like, you know, I've gone by many names, so it's this one being that's kind of shown up through... In different parts of history. Yeah, through all of time, yeah. and it's particularly interesting because it was born in Parrish when Parrish was killed, and this is juxtaposed with... Allison, Styles, and Scott going under the water, under the ice. So was this sort of supposed with that? He was saying that, and they showed that image of them going under. I didn't see that. I only saw the image of. I mean, the the screen was really dark when I was watching, but I only saw the flashbacks of him. You know, um, back in Iraq when the bomb exploded that killed him. And right when it says, you know, when Parrish died or whatever, I don't know the exact words, I was born. And that's when they show Styles, Allison, and Scott going under the water. Oh, wow. That's and fun. I'm like, is this the perfect storm? The perfect mix of events where they had to do that? Like, they were sacrificing themselves at the exact same time that he was dying, that um, the... Oh, he, so, he, so it was and then when they brought the nematon back like that that it it took like he went into it and that's that was it happened to be the moment that oh this yeah so raven cycle actually this is oh Basically, did they create perish as the hellhound yeah like is is that like because oh some guy out there that's dying I'll go into him, if you know what I mean. He he can be the one, you know, like, at that moment. This is, okay, long story short, Raven Cycle. You haven't read it yet. Mm-mm. Um, There are people who are listening who have. This is like, I'm, I, I'm not going to spoil too many people because one of one of these facts is a, a, is a pretty much a spoiler if no one's read the books. But this is like, there are, there are characters in the Raven Cycle. The main character, Gansey died as a child uh he was very allergic to bees and he was stung by bees and on the ley line like where he he's obsessed with ley lines like and fight like finding their power he unknowingly died on the ley line and while he was dying someone else was basically someone else died on the ley line and 
at the same time that he was getting stung. And because of their death, because of their, their unjust death, he got to live, basically, even though he should have died. Like, this other kid died when he should have lived, and because of that, Gansey got to live when he should have died, and that's kind of what haunts him to do his weird quest for the rest of the books. So that's kind of very tangentially reminding me of this idea of, like, them, um, of Jordan being, of sort of somehow, like, bringing this supernatural thing to life uh, through like an unfair sacrifice or something like that. Yeah, it's it's interesting and the bottom line is that now Parrish, like real Parrish, remembers who and I assume what he is. And then he says he has to leave. And my initial thought was he feels as though he needs to draw the beast away in order to fight it, not that he's, you know, running with his tail between his legs. Haha. Mm-hmm. But did you have any other thoughts as to why he would be like, yeah, I have to go now? No, I've already done a lot of this kind of theorizing today because I just spoke this morning on Donya's Star Wars podcast about, like, theorizing about why Luke would leave in, you know, before The Force Awakens. Like, what you know, why someone with that power and responsibility would piece the hell out. So, and one of the theories was that, him being there because in the original trilogy of Star Wars, he leaves Han and Leia because he's like, I shouldn't have come on this mission. Vader knows I'm here. I've endangered you guys. I need to go away. And he actually goes and takes himself and gives himself up to Vader to stop anyone else getting attacked on his behalf. So my first thought was that maybe it's like that. Maybe Luke left because like Kylo Ren could sense him and was always going to be after him and he needed to go, you know, draw him away or not be a recognisable presence, you know, for the enemies, basically, for, you know, on behalf of all of the other people. And it could be something like that here, yes, in that, you know, I am, you know, I'm the natural enemy of the the beast or I'm the natural, uh, um, you know, predator or whatever. I'm I'm here to fight them and and they're here to fight me and so I need to, to go away in order to for them to, you know, we need to take this out of town, if you know what I mean. We need to take this into a back alley somewhere. Um, And it could be that, or it could just be like, I don't want to do this. Wow, I just found out that I'm dead and I'm super not into this. I don't know. I just don't see him being that kind of person. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah, I mean, I need to leave. I don't know. Maybe he needs to go, like, discover something more about himself. I don't know. But, yeah, I guess on a scale of 1 to 10, how surprised were you to find out that... But but he's still there. Like, he's still being conscious and unknowing the whole time. So is this a metaphor, like, like that, you know, like, that he, this thing inhabited his body? Or is this the only reason that he is in any way alive? Like, in and in that case, why is it having his personality... You know, why is it allowing his personality and his mind to continue existing... Or, you know, why is that happening, basically? I see it as, yes, Jordan Parrish died, but in that moment, it allowed the hellhound inside of him. And therefore, the hellhound has to keep Jordan Parrish alive in order to also continue existing. And so when the hellhound is, you know, resting or whatever, then he allows Parrish to continue on the way that he is. So it's kind of like neither one can live 
without the other. So if the hellhound leaves him because he's needed in a body in China or something, you know, you know that you know China has some problem that the hellhound needs to fix and he needs to co possess an old Chinese lady instead of you know a twenty four year old American man in California. Will Paris just drop dead if the hellhound leaves his body? That is my current assumption with my current theory. Yeah, I told you. I told you Paris was going to die. No, he's not going to die. It's going to be totally fine. I told you he's going to die. Something's going to happen to him that's going to put him out of the running for Lydia. I guarantee you. And this is a pretty big thing. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I think they've always handled the um, love triangles really well in that it's not necessarily like, oh, this person leaves or something like that. It's... They're okay with dealing with that kind of head-on and so i don't think they would at least i would hope they wouldn't take the cheap way out okay i hope so so basically kira on the lacrosse field um in the meantime totally gives into the the kitsune and you know however it takes over it you know plays really aggressively um knocks down five or six you know of the opposing team into a point where they're pretty pretty badly injured um, and is just really, really getting um, crazy. And sort of Scott starts to notice that there might be a bit of a problem and, and they try to um, get her out of, out of there and it doesn't work. And so their plan B is for, like, Brett to start, like, insulting her and then she gets really, really aggressive and smacks him over the face with his her lacrosse stick, and um, that was actually part of their plan for her to get sent off out of the game, which does work. Um, and Liam's like, thanks, buddy, to Brett, because he took the hit and went <laughs> down, which is nice, I guess. Um, and then she goes off um, basically muttering in Japanese, um, and Brett's sister, Laurie, follows her and, and tries to talk to her in Japanese and communicate with what the hell's going on, and, and the spirit was a dick to her, basically, and then they have <laughs> a fight with the broken lacrosse sticks, like a bit of a sword or a staff fight um, between this, this werewolf girl and Kira as the kitsune. Um, and, yeah, this is a really extended scene for this young lady that we don't really know to, to have been in before. To have, to have yeah. participated in. I mean, I know why. It's because it's the daughter of one of the executive producers. But clearly she's a an aspiring actress, basically. I thought she was fantastic. I, I was really, really st- liked her. I'm like, this girl yeah. has a really good vibe. Like, I really, really liked her. Like, legit, I was like, I don't even mind that I don't know who this person is. I am into this random person just popping up and participating, she can stay. So, yeah. Yeah, I liked her because she was part of the team, no question, and she went after Kira because she was concerned, and then she has this whole battle with her, and it was just, it was a great fight, and I loved the evolution of the lacrosse sticks being the weapons at first, like, Mm -hmm. you know, hitting each other with them and then, Turned, like Kira turned hers basically into a katana mm. and then broke the other girls and then broke her own so they could fight with like, you know, shorter staffs or whatever. And it was, it was just really cool. And yeah, quite a long, 
fight scene actually not that I minded at all because it was really nice to see it but I think you know as terrible as it is thinking that Kira's being taken over by this Kitsune spirit and obviously we don't want that to happen like Arden Cho as this mean Japanese spirit was really good and I quite enjoyed it I was like wow alright like you've got a chip on your shoulder Kitsune like what is your (laughs) freaking problem and you could see the change so well when she reverted back to Kira. Like, her eyes got bigger, and she looked younger and more innocent, and it was just, it was so weird how transformative it was, but they did a really good job with it. Yeah, no, I really, I really liked it as well, but I'm kind of like, why is this happening to Kira now? I'm yeah, I mean... Like, I thought the Skinwalkers might show up and be like, no, time to go, enough of that. <laughs> like, you know... Maybe they still will. Who knows? I mean, this has been dragging on for quite a long time, and I'm excited to see it come to its conclusion because I'm like, all right, they really need to fix this problem. Clearly, it's a problem. It potentially has derailed their plan. It's distracted them. Is this going to have really terrible results because of what Kira has done? And and I don't really want to think of it as like her giving into it because I feel like she really doesn't have a choice the spirit is stronger than her sometimes so it's not like she just gave up but it's still frustrating that it's like oh at the worst possible time yeah it's very inconvenient speaking of inconvenient (laughs) the desert wolf shows up yeah, I'm like, and is she, I'm like, is she like moonlighting as a local reporter, being like, "Hey, Malia, don't <laughs> rip up my van." Like, why was she there? This scene was really interesting because we know, as well as Malia, that the Desert Wolf is not going to try to kill her because it's not the full moon. In order to get her powers back, they need to wait until at least the full moon. And the scene, the back and forth between them was interesting because Malia's like, look, get out of my way. I have stuff to get done. And her mom's like, why do you even care? And she's like, innocent people are going to get hurt. And she's like, yeah, why do you even care? And it was just, I don't know. It was weird. But at the same time, I totally get why she's there. She's looking for a weakness and she found it. She knows styles is important to Malia now. And I would bet money that she's going to attempt to at least kidnap Styles in order to trade Malia for her powers. Hmm, that should be interesting, especially given what we talked about last week. Not that I think that Malia, you know, not that I think Malia doesn't care about Styles, but if it comes down to this, like, he's still the most important thing to her, then I don't know, maybe, maybe that is still on. Yeah, I mean, it could be. Who knows? I think those feelings are always going to be there, just like those feelings between Allison and Scott were there, even when he was interested in Kira, which is very realistic. Mm. So I think they can still be important to each other. What makes me angry, actually, is that the Desert Wolf was all like, I prefer Mom. First of all, no, you don't. You definitely do not prefer Mom. And then she was like, um, you know, maybe I'll call you daughter. She has no interest in Malia whatsoever. It's like she's trying to like be like, hey, do the right thing, and maybe we can have this family relationship. It's like, really? Like, why? But the best part was Malia is so not there for it. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, I have no interest in you, lady. 
even the line of like, I would kill you, but I have important, more important things to do right now was really great. Yeah, she's clearly like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, wh- wh- what is your freaking problem? What do you, what, where do you get off? Like, it, and it's true. Like, it's like, what is with this woman? Why was she trying to kill her daughter from birth? Like, is it just because she got weaker in some way and she, she wanted that to you know, to have that back, you know, is it something to do with, like, her conception, you know, Malia's conception or her birth, like, um, why is she, why does she not care about her? Like, I mean, so, yeah, some, some mothers are just bad mothers, or some people just don't have family attachments, you know, parents have killed children in the past, it happens in the world, you know, but why this woman, why does this woman not care about her child, and... Like, Peter obviously forgot, you know, about Malia. <laughs> like, he, he had the memories taken, as far as I know. And, yeah. you know, I guess he had to sort of consent to that in some way, or Talia just ordered him that he was going to have his memories taken, I suppose. Um, well, she took them from him herself. Yeah, I know she did, but you can't just do that, like, without, like, you know, the person kind of has to agree, like, otherwise they're going to run away, if you know what I mean. Like, he had to sit there and have it done, you know? Um, I think that they could have found a way to force him to do it, time down or something. That's true. But regardless, was that to protect him? Like, was that to protect Malia because of her mother? Like, was Peter the worst one in this couple, you know? So, like, why um, were they why were they taking Peter's memories of this? Um, and, you know, what does Peter know about this woman, you know? And can he be of any freaking use? Regardless, yeah, what is with this woman? Why does, she, why does he not care about? Why does she not care about? I would assume it's because Malia, quote-unquote, stole her powers. Like, that's the only reason I can think yeah, of that she's so... I don't really so... know what that even means. Like, you know... I know. But that's the only reason we've been given. I suppose. Right. Um, so that's fun. There she is. Um... Mason and Corey go onto the, the buses of the opposing team um, while the game is going on and start crossing people off the list, um, you know, to check if they have any blood on their size 10 shoes. Um, as um, as I said, apparently these kids only have one set of shoes. But that's fine. And they're on there together. Um, they get um, they get scared uh, by a guy breaking, not breaking on, like a guy from that team coming onto the bus and being like, what the hell? And Corey grabs Mason and does the camouflage, which is kind of cool. Like, we didn't know that it could affect, like, what he touched, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean, which is something that sometimes happens with superpowers. If someone can teleport, they can grab the other person and teleport them and stuff like that, which is in some, you know, supernatural universes that happens. And so apparently this happens for, for Corey. And then afterwards they're like, we should go, but they're like, oh, we just shared that experience. It was really hot and start making out. <laughs> Uh, and then apparently, I didn't actually catch this, but apparently Corey pulls away from Mason and starts looking scared. So I didn't actually notice this, but I was watching it on a bus and the lighting was very bad. So mm. what happened? Yeah, there? this was kind of a prominent thing in that, like, they were kissing and he pulls away fairly quickly, Corey does, and he kind of looks at Mason funny, turns around, and he was like, you know, I'm fine, let's go. And it felt, it was like Corey could sense something was wrong, 
and a lot of people are interpreting this as okay, he Mason's the beast. Into the beast or something. Somehow he could tell that Mason was the beast. I I saw one person being like maybe he tasted or smelled Parrish's blood somehow. I don't know, but mm. it's it's concerning. I'm concerned. Hmm. Yeah, I am also concerned given that the beast, like, leapt back into the crowd from the bus area, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's fun. Mm-hmm. But speaking of all of that, um, before that happens, actually, Hayden says she's with Scott's pack, which is very nice to hear. Um, she's been leaning this way for a while, but it's nice that she's kind of declaring that allegiance at this point, especially when everything's about to go to hell and they know it. And she's like, yeah, I want to be with you anyway. I mean, Theo wasn't in this episode to kind of be twisting her arm the other way. So we'll see when he comes back. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe she'll play double agent. Um, yeah, I'm not, that, that could work. I, I'm, I'm a bit. I don't really like Hayden because she's been hanging around with Theo all this time. Like, because she hasn't just been like, screw you. Like, I like she knows what's going on. And just, I don't understand. Like, unless there is a an unconscious physiological, like, draw that he can control them, if you know what I mean. Uh, if it's literally just a human sense of loyalty, I am so not, I'm not forgiving of her being in Theo's pack at all. My interpretation of that is that she died and it was a big deal and that was traumatic and she doesn't want to die again. And she thought in the beginning, given how weak Scott was, Mm. that Theo was the better person to align herself with because it meant she was going to stay alive. And I mean, you could say that's selfish, but I kind of look at it like... She did just die. She's a teenager. You know, this is not supposed to happen. And it was really scary for her. And she's a supernatural creature now. And everything is just crazy. She just wants to stay alive. And now I think she sees that Scott's getting stronger. But it's more than that. It's she really, really cares about Liam And she really sees that Scott is a good person and the type of person that she would want to be around anyway. And Mm -hmm. so I think that if you didn't really like her actions before, you know, however you interpreted that, I think it's going to get better because she's kind of coming around and seeing like, okay, Theo's really not a good dude and I don't want to be around him anymore. Yeah, I mean, better late than never, Hayden, I suppose. Yeah. Well, the news anchor, one of the news anchors gets their van back online and it kind of explodes or whatever it does. And it releases this really big, high-pitched beeping sound and basically forces the beast to transform. And so, yeah, like you said, the beast comes from the bus area. So now people are even more like it's Mason, although a lot of other people are like, it's a red herring. Like, we're supposed to think it's him. And to be fair, like, it could have come from anywhere, like not necessarily within the bus or from the bus area, but like in the forest behind the buses. 
it feels really obvious to me at this point that it's Mason, and therefore I'm, like, rejecting that theory altogether. Yeah, I don't know. As I said last week, I feel like if it was Mason, they've left, you know, they've kind of, as I said, it just feels like he's the last person of the main characters that it could be, you know, that he's he's the one that it, you know, that it wouldn't make sense for it to be any of the other leads, but that he's the only lead that it could be, which kind of feels too easy for me. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons why I don't want it to be Mason. Two of them being exactly that. I think it's really obvious, and I want it to be a really good twist that I didn't see coming or was, like, really hesitant to believe, like, how could this possibly work? And the other just being, like, yeah, he's normal, and that's one of the greatest things about him is he was sort of thrust into this world much like Styles was, mm-hmm. and he has to adapt as a human. Yeah. If they ultimately change that, it just takes away a lot of what we liked about Styles in the beginning in that he was the one taking us through this world as a human. Like, we could relate to him most because he was completely normal. And I feel the same way about Mason, that his mm-hmm. asset is that he is completely normal and he looks at things with fresh perspective. I don't think that necessarily negates him being the beast, but... Yeah, every lead character has had something, quote-unquote, happen to them, you know, at some point. Mm-hmm. So, we'll Yeah, I don't think it negates him being the Beast. I just think, like, it would be a shame if yeah. it was, because I yeah. just like him the way that he is now. Yeah. But I actually put together a list of people, like... Uh, of people I think could be the beast and I went on Twitter and I asked a bunch of people and I was coming up with reasons I have convinced myself that each one of them is true and so now I'm like completely <laughs> lost it's unhypable is this a new one um it's essentially what we talked about before so like the main theories are just that like Mason of course Allison, which I've, like, thought about more and more, and I'm like, God, that would be so good. Please, please, please let it be Allison. Um, And then Danny, of course, a lot of people are gunning for Danny just because he hasn't been around. Maybe this will explain his absence. Um, Theo's sister, which we've talked about on the podcast before, which I also think is an excellent theory and would provide a really good Mm -hmm. twist. And then the last one that um, I may have talked about on here but I don't remember, um, is the twins. I'm wondering oh. if it could potentially be Ethan oh or something. Oh, my God. Not, and two of them in the one, like, two sets of it's, DNA. Yes. No, but I see, the thing is, and Max, I was looking they said they were it up. setting it up from, again, Max was in the premiere. I know, but the oh. thing is, identical twins have the same DNA. Are you sure? Yes. Um. So, but I'm wondering, they've been hinting at chimeras in another way not necessarily a genetic chimera they keep dropping hints that maybe yeah, it's not Melissa exactly was like, so are you sure that's exactly what you meant in this episode you know they really hammered home yeah. that we were meant to think outside the box about that exactly so. so i'm just wondering the fact that they used to merge together literally two people yeah. in one body if that could potentially mean oh. that it's yeah and i mean if 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 um, Lydia was seeing Aiden in the beginning, that could be her banshee powers trying to tell her 
that it's the twins or something like that. But Max, but that theory is dead, though. Like he, yeah, that's why I'm thinking like, okay, could it be just Ethan, or could it be Aiden and they've like resurrected him, much like we were theorizing they could have resurrected Allison. Um, that theory is like the least. I would say probably the least plausible because I haven't figured out exactly how they could have necessarily like done that given all the information we have, unless some of the information is false. But um, I'm definitely interested to see if, if it could be true. Babies. Oh my God. I know. Could you imagine if one or both of them returned? I have so many good intros that I could do for that episode with them. (laughs) Uh, yes, I have a yeah. But I, anyway, I put that little Gideon intro on the end of last week's episode just mm-hmm. because people hadn't heard it and it was relevant, and because we were late. I have so many Max and Charlie ones that people haven't heard that are just ridiculous. Yeah. So if they ever it's... come back, you'll get to hear them. <laughs> yeah. So pray that they do. Um, but the last part of the episode is basically Scott gets Kira to come out of her kitsune, and the beast starts attacking. And Liam tries to take it on himself, totally jumps right at it. And clearly the beast like blew right through him or something because the, we see the beast mm. in the school after. Yeah. We don't know what happened to Liam. Oh, he's probably dead. Probably. Mm. That's nice. Uh, he's probably not dead. Let's, let's be honest. But yeah, I was yeah. like, there's probably a lot of people shaking their fists as yeah. right now. <laughs> Liam's dead. He's probably, he's probably dead. not dead. But I, I don't know. I love that he's so little and angry. But uh, did you see the trailer for next week? Like at all? Like the one with Crystal in it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so nice. I also and started oh, off with, they started off with her, like shots of her from behind. And it was a few frames before like we actually got her face. And it was, oh, it was so nice. Um, throwing back something in this episode related to her, I guess, God, Lydia hanging out with, like, just her, Chris, and Gerard. Like, how weird would have she felt about that? Mm. Remember when she did that sexy, hi, Mr. Argent? Um, and, I mean, no. We're, she's probably moved past that. But <laughs> just in general, like, that's weird. Like, your friend's dead your dead friend's dad and the grandfather you know is evil and just yeah. you guys in parish. Like, oh, that's it was so weird. Especially her interactions with Gerard, or I should say Gerard's interactions with her. Like, at one point, I think he grabs her arm or something like that, and I'm like, do not touch her. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to stand at least three feet away. <laughs> I just, uh, I just really don't. Like, I feel very protective of Lydia. Mm. Not that she needs anyone's protection. That's been made abundantly clear. But she also just got out of Eichen House and just had her head, like, drilled through. And all this stuff is happening to her. And I just want to wrap her up in a big old hug and Aww. keep Gerard far, far away. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. So we had some feedback this week. We had quite a few emails and comments. And the first one is from Sophia Malik. And she says exactly the same thing as me, which is, does Mm -hmm. everyone in Beacon Hills only have one pair of sneakers? I mean, what if that morning the Beast decided he was more in the mood for Adidas rather than his usual bloody sold Converse? (laughs) I mean, 
Same. And with the beat, look, this is just, they obviously can't take into account that everyone in Beacon Hills might have more than one pair of shoes because otherwise, like, I don't know, tracking down the shoe print is maybe not the way I would have gone about it, but it's the only thing they have to go on, I suppose. I suppose narrowing yeah. down who wears a size 10 in general, you know, is is a start. Like, whether you're a size 10 in general and then you check all of those people's every pair of their shoes. How do you find that out, though? It's not like that's listed on your driver's license. It's usually listed on the sole of the shoe. Well, yeah, would they just going to, like, go up to every person? Well, that's, maybe that's why they were checking the shoes. Like, not for the blood, but for, like, the sizing. I don't know. Anyway, the point is... My actual point is like, yeah, if you do, do you think the beast knows it's the beast? Because why wouldn't it be like, shit, there's blood all over the bottom of my shoes. Like at least like can't wear them again. Like you know, like what are the what's the likelihood that they'll just keep wearing their blood shoes? Yeah, more than likely, if they notice the blood, they're probably freaking out. If they're just a regular teenager mm. and like, well, I'm throwing these away or burning them or something like yeah, that. Because so, I, I understand they didn't have much to go on. And maybe looking for someone who's a size 10 is a good start. But yeah, I found it very unlikely that the person would be wearing that exact pair of shoes. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd really like to take the next one because yeah. I have lots of thoughts on this. This is from um, just a guest on Hypable who said, I guess the chimeras won't make it to season six, or at least not all of them. And also, I don't think the doctors will be a thread in season six. So there's little time for all of those answers because I don't think there will be an episode which focuses on Theo, Deucalion, and the doctors. And I'm pretty sure Theo won't make it through episode 20. I guess Tracy might also not. But if but it would surprise me if something goes wrong with Hayden or Corey. And yeah, I was wondering this, too, because we have three episodes left. We have the flashback and then we have 19 and 20. There are still a lot of questions that need answered. There are still still a lot of plot lines that need to be answered. I mean, we've got like Theo and the Dread Doctors and the Beast and the Desert Wolf and even Gerard coming back and what's going on uh, with Lydia and her powers and what's going on with Parrish. And of course, some of those things could carry over into season six. But I have a feeling we're going to be done with the Beast and the Dread Doctors by the end of season five. I just don't really see them carrying yeah, on long in this not. because unlike most villains they've had more than their fair share they had a whole 20 episodes instead of the usual like 10 or 12 um but as far as like theo and all of that goes i would imagine he'd go out with the dread doctors but who knows maybe he'll stick around to be annoying in season six i can imagine some of the chimeras sticking around maybe not theo i don't Mm -hmm. know Who, who knows about what theo yeah Hayden and Corey in particular are important because they have major ties to the main group. Yeah, I think it's probably, that's probably possible. But I'm just thinking if we're giving at least part of this next episode to the flashback, that essentially leaves us like, I don't know, we'll just say two and a half episodes for everything to be wrapped up. Those are going to be some really intense episodes, and I'm kind of nervous. Yeah, I mean, you say this every season. Well, yeah, and they always manage to do it, but doesn't it feel like a lot? I don't know. I feel like there's only one big question, which is about the Beast. 
what 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 are the things that you feel like are missing at the moment? Well, we still don't know everything about the Dread Doctors, especially how to stop them. And we're supposedly going to be getting what's under their masks at some point. So they're going to resurface and be important. And then the whole Desert Wolf plot line is taking a lot longer than I thought it would. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm glad that she's still relevant at this point. Because I like yeah, her. her. I, I, I think I repressed her within the states of this, within within the the time of this podcast. I had just ignored her. So yeah, okay. But there's still a lot of questions, and of course, we just always have questions about the supernatural creatures and stuff. And given that we know what Parish is, and that Parish is potentially dead. You know, just what that means and all of that. So there's still a lot to answer. I'm not saying they won't be able to, but I'm curious to know what's going to be wrapped up by the end of season five. I think Parrish will die. Wait, stop saying that. I'm sorry. I just do. Um, And I, you can't stop me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything. I, I don't have any... any... I don't know. I'm I'm so far from having a good idea of what's going on that I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to take it as it comes. So that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Um, but Travis Cassius, speaking about the Beast, in, in answering the question, says, I think she is the Beast Crystal, like Crystal Reed is the Beast, but not Allison. Um, they think that Marie might become the Beast, perhaps, because Reed said she'd never return as Allison only to have her be evil, which is the only way she could be if she returned from the dead. Uh, and that maybe in killing the Beast, Marie became the Beast. So do you think that that there's a possibility that it could be Crystal, but not, you know, not Allison? And that, you know, Scott's going to have to deal with this, like, evil Allison? Well, not Allison, but, like, evil Allison lookalike? Yeah, I think it's really interesting, the idea of that, you know, in Killing the Beast, Marie became the Beast. I don't know if that's at all plausible, but it would certainly be interesting. I think if Allison were to come back, she wouldn't necessarily be evil, because not all of the Chimeras are evil. I mean, they're scared, and they're doing Theo's bidding, which is not good, but... If Allison were to legitimately come back to life and they, like, stopped the beast and saved her, I think she would have some things to deal with, but I don't think she would be evil. Um, yeah, I could definitely see her just coming back all scared and like, what the hell, what the hell has happened to me, what the hell, like, totally unknowing, so... Yeah, I don't think she'd have to be evil either. Perhaps that's something they thought in the past, but I don't think that it would be necessarily... Uh, you know, uh, ha- that it would have to happen. Mm-hmm. We also got an email from Jenna who says, Holy shit, 517 was stupendous. I laughed so hard when Liam slammed the Jeep's door and screamed out loud when he attacked the beast. Dylan Sprayberry's back and forth between fumbling teen and powerful werewolf is as engaging as it is hilarious. There also was a lot of general yelling at the TV as well as pausing it in order to pace fitfully around the room. And I'm almost 30. Anyway, has anyone posited yet that Donovan might be the beast? I have no idea what he'd be he'd oh, be up to during the day or what he'd be thinking. But since he died before his experiment could fail, he could potentially be in some kind of resurrection limbo. 
This also would give Styles a chance to redeem himself by reaching Donovan. Of course, Lydia seems to be the actual key to all this, but maybe her role is related somehow. I've listened to every episode of this podcast and wanted to say thanks again for all your hard work, and especially for last week's episode. It was so funny. <laughs> Karen and Natalie had good insights, too, especially regarding Danny's surgery from Season 3. P.S. Stabby Pensieve sounds like something Buffy would say if she knew about Pensieves. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, <laughs> Really quick, my thoughts on this is that I'm really glad that you yell at your TV because I've noticed, especially like now that I have a roommate and somebody to watch TV with, this is how I watch TV. I'm very interactive with it and it's weird as hell and I feel really bad because I just like talk so much during it and I try not to be annoying, but I totally do that too. There is a lot of yelling and yes, Sprayberry... He is so good. Like, he is so good at the comedy. I really like him in the comedic roles. But he's been stepping it up as, like, werewolf Liam. And it's been working really well for him. I think it's great, too. Mm. As far as Donovan, like, uh, I just really like this idea of Styles like, being able to redeem himself. And she put it in quotes here, and I think she's probably coming at this the same way as I am, in that Styles doesn't need to redeem himself because he didn't necessarily do anything wrong. However, it's going to make him feel... Yeah, Yeah. he's going to feel better if he can reach out to Donovan and and potentially stop him. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening to every episode of this podcast. (laughs) That's really intense. (laughs) I wouldn't do that, no. Um, I, yeah, that's really great, and we really appreciate it because, you know, recording at 3 in the morning... Sorry. ...is tough. So thank you for telling us that you like us. Yeah, thank you. Um, We had one last email from Harper saying, I was disappointed with episode 17, especially regarding Styles and Lydia. How did you guys feel about the lack of chemistry or even really eye contact between them? And do you feel the beautiful scenes between them in last ep could have been um, written to just lead into nothing? Um, I don't know. I don't know. There was... You know, like I said, the the you know the way that it cut into like Scott and and Kira with that like gold light makeout scene. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I was talking about last last week <laughs> with Styles and Lydia. Like that that lighting, like everything. That was a bit sexier than I was imagining. But like anyway, I I don't know. Like I especially give, what really threw me was the Malia thing. Like um and you know oh Styles is still the one. So I don't know. They really weren't interacting much in this episode, Styles and Lydia. So maybe it's not what we maybe it's not meant to imply what we thought it was meant to imply, or maybe it's just not yet. I don't know. Karen, what did you think? I definitely think it was meant to imply what we thought it implied because of the musical cues. They I mean, were those intense. The, the the song I used last week, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for for episode um sixteen, uh, uh yeah sixteen. That song, like, I looked at the lyrics and I'm like, this is a freaking joke. Like, if you are using this for their one on one scene and it's not meant to be romantic like what the hell is wrong with you so i'm pretty sure they know what they're doing there yeah and they've always chosen really good songs like that's definitely one of the perks of this show and is that like they do a really good job with that to me it's so obvious like it's just it is what it is i also think that a lot is going on right now and although i would have liked some you know furtive glances and stuff like that 
it's just too much. And they're also really close friends. Like, I don't think they're necessarily going to start feeling nervous around each other just because they had this moment. Like, it was a moment, it was a thing, but they're still Styles and Lydia who are very good friends. So it's not necessarily going to change something for them in that they're not suddenly going to be super nervous like when you first develop a crush on somebody. It means so much more than that. So I think things aren't going to change necessarily the way that you think they're going to change. But hopefully in the last few episodes of this season, season we'll get a little bit more maybe we'll explore more of it in season six Mm, we'll see but i doubt they're going to just lead it to nothing i mean they know how the fans feel about stidia and they made it pretty obvious that it was supposed to be don't say stidia it sounds like what it's what people call it i'm just you know just say styles and lydia being cool and hanging with the peeps okay no no peeps (laughs) Um, anyway, let's go, um, and, yeah, we'll talk about this next week when we have the flashback episode, which, yeah, should be really interesting. Um, we've had a few flashback episodes on the show before, so I'll have to see how this one compares, basically. And this is really interesting because the synopsis says, Hoping to align with a familiar ally, the Argents reveal a key clue to the mystery of the Beast of Javadan. Meanwhile, Scott tries to take on the Beast himself. First of all, no, Scott. No. Who's the familiar ally? That's what I'm wondering. The align with a familiar ally. And it's the the Argent's specific... Maybe. Something Hale-related? Familiar ally, though. Who has been an ally for them in the past? Other hunters? Yeah, do they mean uh, the Argents as in uh, allies to who they were before they liked Scott or allies to Scott as well? Like, do they mean the, the Mexican hunters? Um, or do they that, mean, that was my initial thought. You know, or do they mean, you know, someone who's an ally to the werewolves, like the Hales or Satomi? Like... Mm, could be Satomi. Mm. But... Because it says the Argents, I have a feeling it's like a hunter connection, uh, especially since they're exploring the idea of what happened with the maid, and it's supposed to give us a key clue. Maybe they know the desert wolf. Maybe she's like a big hunter, like they like her in the hunter community, like or something like that, because she goes around, Mm. you know, because she was kind of a bounty hunter and stuff as well. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see. All right. Well, yeah. we'll go and uh, yeah, we'll get this to you as soon as possible, and then we'll we'll talk about this next week, I suppose. So, until then, bye bye. 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 Jack, is this thing on? Oh, that was an accident. That went wrong. Um, <laughs> What'd you do? I pasted it in the wrong place. Um,
So I don't know why that's done all those dot points because I don't understand formatting, but just read that. <laughs> what? It's just different paragraphs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I understand why it happened. I just can't be bothered to fix it. Um, <laughs> I will in a second. Look, I will in a second. <laughs> Is there a way I can check that I'm definitely still have a Comic Con pass? By the way, like, I for, like, how do I log in? And- yes. If you go to the website, yeah, just log in with your information and it'll tell you. Basically, you're automatically you're going to get renew, one. You know, yeah, I know yeah. I'm not, but I just want to check they haven't like changed their mind. You know, <laughs> like yeah. If you um, log so in, it'll ID, tell you. I can't remember my password, so that's cool. Um, <laughs> look, uh, member ID login. I'll try. Oh, look, it's already there. That's fine. Um. I can't read that capture for fuck's sake. <laughs> on. Uh, I don't know. Okay, where would it say? Registration info. Verification what? not due. Okay. CCI attendee open. I don't need open registration though, do I? I, I don't. Like, it's ticked me that I'm okay for open registration, but it's also ticked me saying verification not true. I don't have to do open registration. Right. It just says I'm eligible to participate, but why would it tell me that I'm eligible to participate if I'm also... Um, your current I press verification know. is not due, mm-hmm. so that's fine. And if I wanted to register for WonderCon, I could. That's nice. Okay, let's do this thing, I suppose. I've copied those emails in. If you like them, we can use them. If you don't like them, we cannot use them. And, yeah, this, uh, I'm going to make this non-dot point, non-bullet. How do I unbullet you? There we go. Oh, oops. I've done something wrong. Yeah, that's better. Um, all right. Do I sound quiet again, or do I no, sound No, you okay? sound normal. Okay. So, yeah, feel free to read that later, and then we'll work it out. Okay. Oh, I don't want to do this. I'm tired. <laughs> You're tired. You always, every week, every week. I am, I'm very tired. I can be tired, and... I am tired also. Okay. Just because you're tired doesn't make me not tired. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Hi, everyone. Oh, that was a big rustle over my intro. Karen, stop rustling. Um, I'm not rustling. I'm very... Yeah, I just heard a big rustle. I'm very excited, Karen. Why are you excited, Natalie? I guess I'm excited about Funkos. <gasps> you're, like, you're like, oh, my God, the, I thought the day would never come. How excited are you about Funkos? I'm excited specifically that that those Star Wars Toy Fair Funkos turned out to be true and not like a weird fake thing. The new run of Star Wars Funkos for Force Awakens. Wait, 
I didn't see this. Oh, yeah. There's going to be a new run, um, and it's going to have some characters you care about, some you don't. It's going to have, like, a Ray with a lightsaber, um, old Leia, old Luke. Luke I'm, I'm excited about the old Luke because it's the one that I really want. Uh, Mars, <laughs> um, a bunch of other ones, like, random ones. Snap Wexley, like, the other pilot, like, Glenn, uh, Greg Gunberg's, Grunberg's pilot and stuff like that. Um, I'll find it for you later. <laughs> There's a picture of a catalogue of the Im- of just images, not photos, like drawing images, and people and there was some like a typo in it, and people were like, is this legit or is this like someone has faked this? And no, it turns out it was the real Funko catalogue from the New York Toy Fair. It's just that there was a mistake in the catalogue because they suck apparently. So yeah. I'm totally looking at this right now. Yeah, did you find it? Yes. Oh, Speedy from Arrow. That's nice. I don't know what that is. Oh my god. They have Golden Girls. This is just. Golden Girls. Give like, me Hercules. You if mean you like Golden have... Girls, like B. Arthur and like Betty White? The old ladies, yeah. They have those as Funko. Yeah. How do they get these properties? I don't understand. How, like, like out of every. All of these random properties that are not actually attached to, you know, like, they, they don't ha- they're not the kind of properties that would have merch at all, certainly not action figures or dolls. So mm. many TV shows and stuff like that. How come Funko is the one that, like, it has been so popular that everyone is like, yeah, you can make a Funko of me. You can't, we don't do any other toys, but Funko, yeah, you can do that. Like, they, why? I don't know. How do they get so awesome. powerful? Oh, my gosh. Like, who owns I see Rave. With lightsaber, Ray with lightsaber. You would love old Luke Skywalker. Yeah. I'm, with I'm, beard and robe. I'm, I'm getting old Luke <laughs> That's Skywalker. That's actually on his Yeah, I box. know, I know, I know. And, um... Oh, yeah, the Mars, I thought, looked really good. They're, and they're not limited, as far as I know. They're not going to be... So it's not going to be, like, fighting at Comic-Con to get this. These are unlimited standard ones, or most oh, of them cool. are, apparently. That's what Donya said, anyway, so... These are not going to be, like, exclusives. They're going to be just the new run. Yeah. So I want my old, old mm. grumpy loop. Oh, my gosh. There's going to be Mean Girls. No! Seriously? Yeah. And, and no Ferris teen, Bueller. And no Teen Wolf. Not yet. Like, you really think that Teen Wolf would have Funko. Like, smaller shows, much smaller shows, like... I understand, like, being amused by, like, a movie one, but, like, Hannibal. Like, Hannibal did not need Funkos. I mean, it's great that it had them, but, like, the le- and, you know, things like, if, if things like, you know, Arrow and, like, you know, Game of Thrones, I mean, I'm not saying Teen Wolf is the biggest Game of Thrones, but, like, if all of these TV shows that have, like, big online presences have them, you know, I'm sure that stuff comparable to Teen Wolf has the yeah. like, stuff of that size. They, they like, make Duck Dynasty. No. They make Duck Dynasty. That does not need to be a Funko. I want Great British Bake Off Funkos. <laughs> I want Hercules, although I have to admit the Pocahontas one is quite cute. Uh, I want. I would like call the Midwife Funkos. I'm trying to think of like the most obscure <laughs> Funko that I could have. Um, I don't know. I want Tremors Funko. (laughs) I want a big worm Funko thing. Mm. Alright, I need to stop looking at this. I've confirmed there is no Hercules, and therefore we can move on. Alright, fine. Um, 
I really don't know why there's no Teen Wolf Funkos or any Teen Wolf toys or merchandise, but never mind. Um, moving on. <laughs>